And welcome back to The Definite Article, the show that seeks to prove beyond reasonable doubt that Tom Baker is the best of the existent doctors. Um, And I say beyond reasonable doubt, I think we're going to try and make it scientific fact. And this week, I thought I'd try and introduce us slightly differently. Um, I thought I'd try and cross the streams and come up with some Star Trek things. And it made me... Uh, I had to think hard about this because normally I'd have gone, Jim, you're Captain Kirk. I, I thought about <laughs> this and I had to think about, about how we're going. And I, I don't think that's true. The way I've got it at the moment is I'm Captain Kirk. What? Yes. I'm giving Lee Mr. Spock because of his vast knowledge. And I'm giving you the curmudgeonly role of uh, Dr. McCoy. That's how it what? goes. Oh, that's good. But you see, I'm quite jealous because I did like McCoy. Well, but I can understand your reasonings. In that case, I can only suggest you guys uh, wrestle it out during a mock time and uh, so that another time. So this week, mind meld. The uh, randomizer has taken us to the horror of Fang Rock. Um, what which was that? Is... Sorry, can you do that again? The horror of oh, he knows how to roll his R's. I tell you that. I, well, all mean... I can say, Jim, is it is better than you going the horror fang rock with your <laughs> sing song <laughs> fucking nonsense that you do every week. No, but come on, last week he did sound like the BBC continuity announcer. So that, yeah, yeah, he also <laughs> sounded like his balls trapped in a vice. But there we go, <laughs> um, <laughs> Jim. Jim, Jim, yes. Jim, I'm very cold and cruel to your Mr. Uh, Dr. McCoy sort of role in this. Could yes. you, in a curmudgeonly way, Go give on. us your sort of facts and stats on this? Right. Okay. Now, yes, because actually uh, I, I've done a bit of homework. Uh, Lee told me off last time. Said, it was a friendly suggestion. It, it was a friendly suggestion. He said, find out things like how popular this story was, how many people watched it, and so on and so forth. Before now, you go any further, who who oh, was that? Who was that from? What was what from? A friendly suggestion, because there's no way you've done it on your own. No, no um, uh, Lee told me to do it. But, I got a stern voice. Okay, all right. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Said, as far as I can see, you do absolutely nothing, Jim. Why don't you go away and try and do a bit of work? So I have. Very good. <laughs> Well, which I think is good, right and true. So what have you come up with now that you've been I, told to do something? I have found out that, out of interest, the average audience for Horror of Fang Rock over those four episodes is 8.4 million. Now, uh, throwing that into what we've done before last time, the three of us did Genesis of the Daleks, which had an average audience over the six episodes of nine and a half million. Mm. So we're down slightly on that. However, if we go back to Megalos, uh, our least popular show so far, uh, that had uh, 4.6 million. So things it seems like they're going downhill. I don't know if that's strictly true, as in from Genesis through Horror of Fang Rock on down to Megalos. I don't know, Lee, if you know any more about how the show is going. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not certain about if it was continuously going down like that. I mean, it's interesting that you say the average because it does pick up, doesn't it? It goes 6.8, 7.1, 9.8, and 9.9 on each episode. So it starts to pick up, but it would be interesting to see how this 
does continue throughout this first Graham Williams season. Um, and I think is, is it not also worth mentioning that this is during the time where there were only three channels? Yes. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think that's. Fair. But then again, things like um, Megloss, there was still only three channels then, wasn't there? No, was there that? was four. Was there? Five. Yeah. Channel yeah, 4. It was the 80s. Yeah, Channel 4, because it was... Did you work. not watch the Red Triangle films, for Christ's sake? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Didn't yeah, we this all is a warning that all... there would be nudity, and so everybody went, oh, maybe maybe it's worth hanging around watching this film. Then. Yeah. Damn right. Yes. Apart from yeah. you, Jim. But you see, you? I was more sophisticated. I used to turn over to BBC2 and watch Film International. Oh, oh, you big tart. Uh, you big see, tart. You're always guaranteed, always guaranteed to have an adult bent on the foreign language films. Yeah, but the Red Triangle films, you were guaranteed a, a bit of boob. You guaranteed what, sorry? A oh, bit of boob. Yes, I oh. know, but that was the same with Film International. If you oh, got I never saw Film International. Ah, you see, if you've got your subtitled film, not only do you watch a bit of class, but also you, a as, a, as a teen, saw, uh, well, it was pubic hair. Oh my okay. God! Are, are we going? Are we going a little bit? Yes, we are things? actually. Yeah, yeah. No, Jim, <laughs> Jim, Jim, Jim. The but only reason you're... there's a wee connection a little bit later to what we're talking oh, about God. in one of the episodes. Really? Okay, yes. fair enough. Yes. Fair enough. Uh, uh, Lee, Lee, uh, just a quick question: Is there ever has there been an episode of Doctor Who where pubic hair has been involved? <laughs> Either on somebody's head or down below. Uh, well, I I don't know that. I mean, because well, yes, actually, yes. Oh, for God! Go on. If you think about it, in Planet yeah. of the Spiders, a lot oh, of men, a lot of men are not wearing shirts. So when they lift up their arms, there is abundance of pubic hair. Should it be called Planet of the Spider's Legs? <laughs> which is a terribly trite and shite link so jim just briefly while me yes. and me, while me and lee were watching you know yeah. channel four films and channel five films what were you doing i i think i was probably um planning my next episode of buck rogers in the 20th century Right. I, I, Were you using body parts of the original actors at that point? Uh, yes, I was. <laughs> Gerald Gerard. <laughs> what was left of him was at my gaff. It's I true to say. I'm, I'm completely. I'm lost with this. I'm also lost with where we've gone. All right. Well, to... welcome to Horror of Fang Rock, everyone. Let's let's get back to there. It's all yeah. a bit silly. So, Jim, what what um where, where did this come in the canon, please? Uh, where exactly did it come in the canon? It was uh, season 15, the first story of season uh, uh, 15. I'm sure Lee will be able to tell us whether it was the first filmed of that. It was a second season. filmed. Um, second. Yeah, The Invisible Enemy was the first. And one of the reasons that this became the first one shown was because Terence Dix um, had a choice of writing canine in the story or not, and because it's set in a lighthouse, obviously it was chosen <laughs> not. Too many stairs, I think, uh, and quite Too right actually for the action. It just would have slowed it down. He slowed down every action. Yeah, I, I've, 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 it's like a milk float. 
Exactly. <laughs> That's I, I what he was. He was Doctor Who's milk float. Yeah. Another pint, K9. Oh, fantastic. A lot of milk. Um, so, Jim, um, let's start with <laughs> yes. you. Your opinions. Your, your, let's start with kickoff. What do you think? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I felt that the story itself was a, it was a rather good one, actually. I I really enjoy Horror of Fang Rock, which again does stand up to uh, when you read lists and so on. It seems like it was a very popular story in Baker's time overall. You know, there's sort of talking top tens, that sort of thing. And I think it's nice and simple. It is essentially the thing, isn't it? In a way, you know, Carpenter's film, The Thing. Yeah which yeah. I think itself was a remake, wasn't it, of uh, whenever it was, Thing from Outer Space. And it, it, it's essentially that. And it's nicely done. It's The sets are great. It, it's all very enclosed. I think pretty much everything about it works overall very well. There are moments within it which are, and I'm sure we will argue over, but as a story, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was... It, Deserved its four episodes, if you know what I mean. I know there's times we talk about padding. I didn't really see any here with it. But, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. What about you, Lee? Did you like it? I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And i tell you, what, watching it again, I mean, I had a little note of when was the last time I watched it, and it was 18 years ago. So uh, that's so I'd forgotten bits. Back in your 40s. That's right. God, yeah, what? <laughs> It was. In fact, it was my last year in my 30s. And, uh, <laughs> and um, uh, I, I, what for me, I, I love about this, and um, I suppose it, I love about Talons as well, is when we have a period piece, this is how the BBC used to do them. It is steeped in the old BBC, like the sets are brilliant. You know, you look at the boiler, um, and and it's really yeah. it's really yeah. good. It is, uh, it's a curved set. The costumes are superb. You know, you feel as though you are back. You know, in 1910 when this was set. It, I mean, it is it is excellent, and it was BBC at its best doing a period drama with science fiction thrown in. Um, you've got. No. Sorry, go on. So, so interesting you drew up the uh, talons sort of thing because talons, you know, uh, with, with hindsight now is um, there, there's a slight cloud over it, shall we say. Only it, um, way, the way it deals with race and all that sort of stuff. Um, but there's some of that in this, like with Ruben going about the Ruskies and uh, you know, all that sort of thing. Uh, is is a question for the group. Um, is it okay to do that? Should we not be doing that? Should we be saying, you know, okay, that's a two story that got it wrong because they are acknowledging things in the wrong way, or should we just be saying, look, that's how people spoke, and that's a, a reportage of of how people used to speak. That's. Well, I mean, that's a very it's a very good point, isn't it? You could firstly say it's of its time as in it was in the 70s mm. and therefore that would have happened then. You could argue if you were really going into it, that, as you say, Andy, that's exactly the way people would have spoken at the time, which is turn of the century, isn't it, I think? Um, so I, 
yeah, I don't know. That didn't actually stick out too much for me in it. That's You're very right. good, Jim. You're dodging dodging the point here. You're dodging trying to put your uh, nails to the mast. What do you think? Do I think? <laughs> um, I it didn't. It didn't. Well, let's get some hate mail. Yeah, it, no, it didn't bother me in this story. No, I mean, Talons will have a different chat. It didn't bother me in this story. No, it for me. I don't think you should airbrush history. Um, we cannot. We cannot judge history on now. And when people will be judging us in 50-odd years' time, they won't be able to judge what we do from their modern-day sensibilities. Um, It's wrong, uh, and you have to look at the piece and say, well, this is a period piece. This is 1910. Somebody would have a fear about the Ruskies, in the 50s, the Americans had a fear about the Ruskies. You know, you, it, culture is built, I would say, uh, and people going to war, which is it's built on fear. But that shapes us. We shouldn't forget what happened. And I think if if something like this in uh, Horror and Fang Rock touches on it, we don't need a lecture as why that was particularly wrong. I mean, it's done by a look. The doctor's quite good at just batting that aside. And this is where I think it's, it goes wrong in the modern who is every word somebody speaks, we then have to dissect it and have a chat about it and the story goes out the window. You see, I think that's a, I think that's a very good point, intelligently made. I will just go slightly off topic and throw something into the mix. So... N- n- now, these days, if you watch Top of the Pops from the 70s era on TV, Jimmy Savile is not included. Mm. Should we should we be airbrushing him? Should we pretend he never happened? Or should he be there? You know, should we see him? I think that's a – personally, I think that's a different thing because that is one person. And um, that, one, it, that one person has been a, a sexual predator. What we have in uh, period dramas is the way that people thought about other people and the yeah, fear. That's a very good point. Well done. So that's that's why I would uh, draw the line at, at uh, Jimmy Savile. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a phrase I never thought I'd hear you say. <laughs> that I'll, that's why I'll draw the line at Jimmy. No, I'll tell you what's very, interesting. Good point tell, well made, mate. I'll good tell you what's well really made. interesting about, about Jimmy, uh, the name Jimmy Savile. I've been watching um, uh, Pennyworth, which, is, which I highly recommend. And it is, a, it is an alternative Britain in the 60s. And it's about Alfred, Batman's butler. And it shows him living in the 60s before he goes to America and they have hangings there um, and they're public on the television. And one of the people they hung uh, and they read out the names and the crimes was Mr. James Savile. No. And, and in line of duty, which is currently on at the moment, they're also mentioning uh, operation. um, What was it? Utree. And again, his name's got a mention to say, you know, this is corrupt and blah, blah, blah. So I think it's being done in a very positive way, reinforcing the fact to make you not forget that this one person caused damage on other people. 
Um, Lee, you've give, given a great well answer to what was probably a very stupid question. So thanks for that, mate. You've you've bailed, bailed me out of a lot of shit there. <laughs> uh, Jim, Jim, over yeah. to you, mate. Go on. You were going to yeah, say I was something. Just, I was just going to say for we've just lost our only Russian listener, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> what the Rusky? Yes, he's gone. <laughs> he has turned on. Anyway, listen now. Back to horror of Fang Rock. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh that, yeah. Go on. Yes. Um, but what did you think, Andy? What did you think? What about the whole Ruskies thing? No, no horror of Fang Rock. Oh, generally. Um, sorry, I uh, looked. It, it was. It was just what you said. It was. It was a period piece that um, you know our favourite time traveller wandered into, which was kind of lovely. It was that. The world was already set up, was already established, and, you know, whether you were a kid or not, you probably had some idea that that's how it worked back then. I also really did like the whole, the sort of encroaching menace that was electricity, which, you know, became the the bad guy as well at the same time. And so people were going, oh, you know, electricity don't like that yeah. and somebody's going oh well, it's the way forward and it's all good and so I, I did like the sort of the, the battle of ideas within the you know context of the story yeah I, and i think that there were some lovely moments in it which it sort of jumped out at me for i suppose for the first time here i don't know if that's just you know you're watching it as a kid but there are these occasional sort of crackles of electricity which uh presumably from the root and but it's sort of you know saying here's some trouble on the way and it's really it's really nicely done yeah it's it's really nicely done and and everything as you say about that encroaching sort of menace is fabulous the way you've sort of linked that into the electricity makes it sound like you're much cleverer than you are andy but that's um (laughs) this is true jim this is very true very true but everything about it like you say it's i mean from that very first root and eye view i think that's lovely and yeah the root i quite like the bubbling really, music as really well. nicely done yeah and there's some great well, you see i didn't like the bubbly that. music lee you, you you liked it i did i didn't yeah did i not? did like it i did like the bubbly music and i like the root and eye view i think i think that that worked what didn't work for me was revealing i mean because let's face it I am, it's uh, a shit monster yeah. Um, I didn't like. How dare you! I didn't like the early reveal because as I was watching it, um, uh, there there was one there was one point where uh, I'd forgotten that Reuben was not actually Reuben. Uh, I I for some reason I'd got it into my head that the Ruton had had sort of absorbed his body and they were both together, and then you see Ruton. Um, sorry, Ruben, uh, you see his dead body down near the boiler room. And I thought, oh, God, yeah. What I'd like to talk about is Ruben. We've just been talking about Ruben. Now, the guy who played him, um, I don't know an awful lot about. But my opinion, although he was doing that sort of hackneyed old, all blimey, things are terrible kind of nonsense, he was brilliant. Yes, he was. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I loved him in it. Yeah, would you? We both agree on that. Yeah, Colin Douglas is the guy, and he was in Enemy of the World before. Uh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, he was in Enemy of the World. I've got that on here somewhere. Yeah, very different character. I, I again, I thought it was great, and the whole suspicion about the electricity that you were talking about 
it, it's good because it creates that menace of electricity. And then then he gets taken over and there's this shudder. And that grin is quite... Oh, yeah. Oh, he's fantastic. Oh, oh. really good. The, um, the bit where he walks down the stairs with his eyes closed is absolutely fantastic, isn't it? That's a wonderful moment. And he sort of, and like you say, that grin on his face yeah. is, is just brilliant. Yeah. Just brilliant. Uh, the, I think the only the only sort of um, new who sort of uh, I don't know uh, one you'd kind of go well it's a bit the same only a bit be the waters of Mars where everybody's you know oh yes yeah. made of water a bit and uh, it's just that idea of somebody being possessed by the thing that they need the most at that moment in time I thought was quite lovely yeah. Yeah, I just, I just thought, I, I mean, it's just a nice little part, um, you know, and it was, in some ways, it was quite understated. He was, you know, he, yeah, he had the, it just reminded me very much of when the O'Neill line was on as a kid and he was like Baines doing the, the West Country-ish accent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he wasn't, you know, he was, fear, like I say, fearful of the electricity, knowledgeable about the old ways uh, and was quite kindly, really, to to Vince, you know, the the young guy. Uh, I just thought it worked well. I just thought he was mm. solid, absolutely. How, how do we feel about Vince, ladies? Can I ask you a question about Vince? Yes. Go on. How old do you think that actor was? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I I put him about twenty five. About what? Sorry, twenty five. Yeah, I'd say t- t- mid twenties. Okay, because I I always thought of Vince because he's supposed to be eighteen. Clearly, he isn't, yeah. but that was the idea of writing it down. And I always thought that Vince was quite young. And looking at it, and he, I think he he acts brilliantly because he's he's young and he's innocent and what have you. And when uh, I, I I went back to the um, audio bits, they were talking about it. I couldn't believe he was thirty two. Oh my god! Oh my god! And, and I thought that shows the power to me of somebody acting young, and you forget the age. Wow, that's extraordinary. Well, He'd yeah, been seen playing. I, I Snoopy, certainly didn't think he was thirty-two. I had no idea that. Yeah, you know, my god! He'd be, he hadn't he been seen playing Snoopy at the Edinburgh Festival, and that's how he got the job? I think he, he she saw Paddy Russell, the director, saw him in something and got, yeah, I think you're right there, Jim, yeah. yeah. Just, Jim, can I just ask out of interest, what's the youngest part you've uh, played? <laughs> just checking. What's the laughter stopped? Can we, can we get I to the answer on this? Because you know there's a very young part I've played. And you're yes. Come no, on, no, I don't. No, I don't either. Go on. How old were you? That's great that it's died now. <laughs> He's done it. Harper, all. you get back here. You're either bluffing this. Where is he? Oh, big oh, fan. Sorry. Sorry, yeah. I keep on losing you. Sorry, what were you? What were you saying there? Sorry. I was just asking Jim, what's the youngest part you've played? I can't remember. I can't, I currently have a playing age of twenty-five to thirty. <laughs> See, I would have said a wee bit younger. 
I would just <laughs> <imagine that. laughs> that, that's where my playing age is. So, I mean, you know, uh, what 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 is there for me to say? Yes. Well, nothing know. but lies, Jim. As far as I can work out, nothing there we go. at all. Nothing yeah, at all. Nothing uh, but lies. Nothing at all but lies. Can I just say in that opening? I don't know if you touched on this when we were talking about how good. Uh, Ruben and Vince were because I, you know, we love Ruben. I liked Vince. Ben, at the very beginning, that seemed to me like a two Ronnie sketch. With, <laughs> what? With, yeah, what? With, yes, because up at the top of the lighthouse where they were, yeah. it just struck me Ben's performance was the weakest of the three lighthouse keepers. And him stood there with his big tash. Ruben there looking like Ronnie Barker. It was just like a two Ronnie sketch. It was so over the top and ridiculous. It sort of made you go, oh, God, what's coming? And then it improves greatly, frankly, when he's dead. (laughs) I never thought that. I never thought that. What I was thinking was, what have I seen him in? And and it turns out that uh, Ben, or Ralph Watson, the actor, was actually Captain Knight in Web of Fear. And as soon as I... Oh, there you go. Oh, of course, it's hiding behind his walrus moustache. So I probably wasn't concentrating that much because I was thinking, what's he been in? What's he been in? So so that actually is saying almost the same as you, Jim, that the scenes weren't good because I was thinking of something else. Isn't that funny? Did they have like a little coterie of of sort of people who'd been in who, who they... Pulled back and went, yeah. oh, you, you can come into this again. Is that how it worked? Well, years ago, it was different. It was completely um, different the way things were cast. Uh, directors would have their own rep of people. So if they were doing something, they would um, call on their old favourites. And Dougie Canfield was, was one in particular who would reuse. That's why Nicholas Courtney um, came in and, and took over from the role of the of the colonel, um, because Richard Langdon is it the guy who played um, Mr. Bellamy in Upstairs Downstairs was offered um, Colonel Lethbridge Stewart, and then oh wow, and then um, Nicholas Courtney was promoted because I think he was knight, so they had a shuffle because Douglas Camp, but Douglas Campford had got him in already, so that's what they used to do. The directors used to be the casting directors. Uh, because there was a lot of work on stage as well that people did, which goes back to what you said, Jim, about John Abbott um, as Snoopy. People would see and would use people. And then I think it was mainly towards the end of the 70s, early 80s, casting directors really came into their own. I mean, they were still there. They were, you know, they were there beforehand. But it stopped being, I'm going to use my rep of actors. So probably, right? yeah, it's very different. I mean... TV in the 50s and 60s was miles better than it is now for work for actors. Um, oh, Lee, you're just betraying your age, love. Oh, That's no, all no, you're no, doing. No, you no. just be- And, Jim, I'm, I'm yes. de- demoting you from McCoy to Yeoman Rand at the moment. Why? Because you've said nothing interesting. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to suggest now... Go on. That, um, because there's, there's all these sort of Hammer film nods... Know, throughout the uh, the piece, but I'm going to suggest, and I don't know if anybody thinks either way on this. There's some nods to Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft, on this, um, with the whole sort of um, 
somebody turning up to a place where everybody appears quite bonkers, and then something coming out of the sea, and then having to convince everyone that it's you know uh, it's a thing, and nobody believing them, and it all, uh, which is quite Lovecraftian. And I'm going to use yes. that word. Yeah, Lee, I, I can't comment because I've never read any. Okay, well, he's a terrible racist. Um, <laughs> he's a he's a terrible racist. So go and pick the books up, everyone. Uh, yeah, but but you know uh, his what? books did sort of set various templates for various horror uh, tropes. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's Terence Dix, isn't it? I mean, the man knows his craft. He knows how to. To write, does he love craft though? Hey, very good. Oh, there there we go. Go. Everyone, good night. Here, um, here we go. Why doesn't he work anymore, folks? It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Be quiet, yeoman Rand. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I think it's just dicks knowing what works. And I mean, this, this script was, I mean, it's interesting because we've, we've praised the, the set and we've said how it, it, it feels. This was the first time that it was out of London. They went to Birmingham because there was no space. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, they, they, they didn't so they didn't get your regular people. Um, Terence Dix was, had a script already, and the high-ups at the BBC were producing Dracula at the time, and they said, we think if you do a Doctor Who script which is about vampires, which indeed Terence Dick's one was, is that you're going to be taking the mickey out of our high-profile drama. And I remember at the time, the Dracula was, I mean, it was heavily promoted. Um, I don't remember the Dracula. I remember, I remember no, it. I. Yeah. It promoted. But did it, was it shown? It was shown, and I believe um, Susan Penhaligon was uh, Mina. I could be wrong on this, and there was... Uh, uh, they got an, a foreign actor to play Dracula. Frank Finley, I'm sure, was in it. Oh, was uh, it that fellow with the big hair? Yeah, it was. Yes, I know exactly. He was like a, a more debonair Dracula. He was very 70s. bit like if one of the Bee Gees had been bitten by a vampire. That's correct, yes. <laughs> yes <I know. laughs> Barry <laughs> Gibb. Barry yeah, Gibb. Barry, Barry Gibb. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, cool. have to be Barry. Remember, yeah. So they, they didn't want they didn't want it, and so this comes in at the last minute, um, and even Terence Dick's thinking, "Well, what enemy can I do?" And he he did the root he picked the Rutans because it was they were mentioned before, uh, and he said that it was almost like Robert Holmes getting his revenge on him because he asked Robert Holmes to come in and write a script at short notice, and that's when we got the first Sontaran story. So, wow, which, um, uh, again, has, you know, it's become a, a big thing and something we haven't quite seen to its fulfilment, and part of me hopes we never do. But before we go in that direction, let's talk about Leela. Guys, your opinions on her in this, uh, in this outfit, outfit, adventure. Um, I in this story for me is uh, she's absolutely brilliant in it. I, I can't. There's everything. I can't fault anything she does in this story. It's the best Leela story that I mean 
so far that we've reviewed. I know we haven't done many, but it's for me her best one. It's a little bit puzzling at the beginning. How how does she get wet? Why is why does she need to get changed? I mean, we can see why she needs to for the story action, but it seems very bizarre. Uh, I know they're heading to Brighton, so presumably she's dressed up for that, but she doesn't seem very wet when they get into the lighthouse. But actually, character-wise, what she has to do, I think she's brilliant. What about you? Uh, Lee, any opinions before I sally forth? Um, I mean, I there was only one little bit of inconsistency, I thought, um, when she's having concerns etc and then uh something said and she said well they will all die then and i thought well that's a bit that's a bit harsh but then i thought well you know what she's a warrior she's got some cracking lines really has yeah. plays them so well i mean um you know she's she's looking worried and and it's just that i think there is something wrong here uh and, you know and she's she's got that sense that animal like sense and then there's a bit of comedy you know when when uh somebody says to her um about be, being a lady and she says oh i'm no lady but it's the way that she <laughs> plays the lines they're just yeah. great and she she is good she really is good and i i think the trouble is it's it was so easy just to forget that she was a warrior um and what terence dix does is balance innocence with a warrior if you see what i mean and she right well i'm going to be the miserable git in the uh, in the the pack then because i i, I don't like her at all in this oh, why? I, uh, really? well, because, why? Uh, well if you just both Fucking shut up! I'll tell you. All right, um, we just worried it's going to meander onto something else. That's all. Well, who knows? Who knows? Um, me. Sorry, our Yeoman Rand will exit from your quarters. Captain. Yeah, go, go and get, get, get your little clipboard out and go and take somebody's temperature. You fart. Um, what I think is entirely forgotten here is that she's a warrior. I don't. I, I see no sense of it, and I I would see I, I would say, um, horribly that that's down to the performance as much as the writing. When she pulls a knife. I just don't believe her at all. I don't kind of go. That is the woman who could decimate everybody in the room. I don't believe her at all. I, and when she's creeping around the rocks, going, "Oh, it's over here somewhere, doctor." She she might as well have fucking clogs on. She's just not not a warrior huntress. She is somebody who pulls a knife and, and whispers a bit. And we're all supposed to be scared. I wasn't. Okay, you're wrong. But you know, it was nice of you to come to the party. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what's I mean, I, I do find that interesting. But what sort of because I I have. He, I mean, I, I liked Leela at the time. Watching it, watching her stories now, sometimes they're a bit inconsistent and a bit hit and miss. And listening to them on on Big Finish, and they do serve her better. But what sort of warrior was she? She wasn't the sort of warrior that just killed for the sake of it. She, and that's what marked her out being different from the Sebatine tribe. She, there, she was a. She, yes, was a warrior. You said Huntress, actually, earlier, Andy, and I think that's probably 
more what they were trying for. She is not a complete savage, I will kill this and do that. And that is why she wanted to leave her tribe. You know, there's, but they never, I don't think they ever quite got it right. The innocence they did, the warrior slash huntress, no. But in some stories, she is believable. And with this whole intuition element, I think she's spot on in this story. I think yeah. they could have, I think they could have played upon it. And I and I also think the whole innocence thing, um well, unfortunately, in my opinion anyway, what happened is she just ended up looking stupid. Uh, where she was going, what do you mean? Duh? He's going, well, it's this, that, what? and the other. Sorry, what happened there? What's that? Uh, sorry, I'll just, I'll just talk to Louise Jameson, who sat by me. <laughs> could, you, could you just read that just again, Louise? Him. She just stabbed him in the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I didn't believe it. This is how you use a knife. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? She just, she didn't sound like a sort of, I know what they were going for, that sort of, you know, uh, sort of, uh, what was it, that? Professor Herbotton is talking wife, oh, or whatever it was. Professor <laughs> Hill, Eliza Doolittle. That's it. Thank you very much. From George As I said, Professor Pepperpot is talking wife. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Um, it just became a bit. She just came across as stupid. And you're going, look, if you're if you have intuition and gut instinct and a you know the hunter's instinct you'll be able to bear down what's being said to you a little bit quicker than you're doing it on screen i wonder whether they were aiming really i mean yes the costume was for the dads but i wonder whether they were aiming to get her more childlike uh, and hook in with the kids and have that that innocence um, and I also didn't realise until uh, ten what, minutes ago. Ten minutes ago, yeah. <laughs> watching the um, watching the DVD uh, and I read, I think reading some of the bits that actually Graham Williams asked her to stay on. She was due to go. She was only supposed to be in it for a few stories, and she said, "I will if you." Uh, you know, she finally agreed. If I can get rid of these contact lenses, oh, that's yes, why yeah, we have the scene yeah. at the end. So, I think Leela was a short. I mean, and I didn't know this. So, Leela is supposed to be a short-lived character, and because of that, I don't think they thought her out initially much more than a couple of stories. Uh, is this not also the story where she and Tom? Um, came to blows over over an entrance. We, uh, she was supposed to be doing something, and Tom was supposed to come in at a certain cue, but he yeah. kept coming in early yeah. and blowing the scene for her. And she spoke to Paddy Russell, and Russell at that point had kind of had enough of Tom, who apparently had got a bit headed about the whole thing. Eventually, she, they sort of went, no, we can't do anything. And she, and Louise Jameson eventually went to Tom and said, we can't do this anymore. You know, And they had a bit of a row. And the, at that point, he gave her the respect that she deserved, you know, from there on in. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you're right. And it, it, it's 
um, interesting on the DVD, she said, oh, it's this point. Oh, no, it's not. It's a little bit later on where things change for me and Tom. Um, so they obviously had words. Um, and I think the scene was that Pat, Tom was, he, could, he kept coming in wrongly. And what happened was Paddy Russell then focused the camera on Leela because she'd had enough. And I think that's where the blows or maybe the argument, one of many. But apparently also the Birmingham crew, Paddy Russell had to stop them. They were going to swing a weight and hit Tom because he was... <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. But interestingly, you're saying about that, I mean, he hardly looks at anybody in this. No. And I no, like it. Absolutely. That's great, though. That reminds me of the story of... Um, this isn't, you know, an allegorical story, so I will attach no legal rights to this story. Have you heard the story about Tommy Steele? In the uh, Singing in the Rain musical, you heard yes. that one? Yes. No, go on. I don't know whether legally are we allowed to say this. Well, if I can just say this by saying we don't know if it's true or not, and yes. so this anecdotal, and hopefully that gets us out of a whole load of shite, um, the story goes that he was so unpopular in the stage crew Oh, no, yes. You know this story about the rain machine, Jim? (laughs) The stage crew used to pee in the rain machine so that during singing the rain, uh, he'd be, you know, dancing under um, a cloud of urine. It was literally (laughs) pissing it down. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you very much. These are the jokes, folks. Thank you all. There you go. There you go. So so was, was our Tom Baker, our beloved Tom Baker, was he the Tommy Steele of the Doctors at this point? Well, you know, it's, his performance in it is quite interesting. I find his performance quite unsettling in this, mm. in this um, serial. He's, uh, he seems very underpowered initially, which, which works. I really like it. It's quite strange. And then he seems almost at times sadistic. There's there's that moment, you know, towards the end when they're uh, with him and Skinsdale, when they're getting the diamonds to go and use to create the um, laser or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Tom sort of uh, flings them then down on the floor, doesn't he? Knowing yeah. that Skinsdale's going to scrabble around trying to get them and that the Routon's on its way up. It seems oh, really that's quite un- actually, yeah. doctor-like. You think, my word, he's he's almost leaving him to die because he knows how he's going to react when he throws the diamonds. It's quite strange yeah. in a way for the Doctor. I don't know. What did you think? Because he came across in this one to me as, as not just alien, because we've seen that before, like Pyramids of Mars, you know, when he's sort of, I'm not human, and then his attitude to the uh, dead body, whichever one of the um, Scarmans it is. Uh, this one, he actually seems to go beyond that to actively disliking that group of people who admittedly aren't very likable, but actively disliking them and sort of, I don't know if enjoying their their, uh, deaths or their terror, he certainly doesn't seem bothered by it. Yeah, and and I, do you know, I like it. Yeah, I do too. I do. I, I really, I mean, Guy, you want an alien doctor... And you see, this is, I, this for me is the last time Tom Baker is any good throughout as the doctor. Wow. And then it starts, to, well, it starts to become buffoon. 
Yeah, you see, for me, I I like it that Tom is acting like this, um, and I would I would say this is for me the I mean because it shows that he's an alien, but it is the the last time where Tom is any good. Oh my god, that's no, no, no. a huge oh. statement. Full wow. in, in in the whole episode because what I hate about his doctor later on and it's the scripts and it's him playing up is the doctor becomes a buffoon and then you get canine in the mix and canine is clever and then Romana's in the mix and Romana's clever he is in charge here if the series ended with Tom Baker and this was the last episode shown on TV I think that it probably would have done the series a power of good then given again, but then, oh, I don't know, then it becomes more students and the students like it, but it then dips and we've already spoken about Megalos and how far down. All right, well, listen, I'm going uh, to fire something at you, Lee, yeah. just a complete, complete off the top of my head question. But when Tom did his buffoonery and he also did, you see, my theory is that every time you saw a Tom Baker episode, you got a different doctor every time. It was underpinned by that sort of funerary, as you say. Mm. Now, my theory is that it hadn't really happened before. But we wasn't a buffoon. Troughton, to a degree, I suppose, I'd say more whimsical than a buffoon. Yeah. Yeah. And then Hartnell just was a grumpy old man. So I think once he'd made his stamp, old Tom, everything after that, People went, that's the thing. That's the thing we've got to go for, is that buffoonery, which they sort of interpreted as, that's what an alien's like. They're a bit odd and a bit awkward. I think it's that that everybody has tried since to somehow reinterpret, but I would say nine times out of ten has got wrong. You mean all the people that went on afterwards that became the Doctor? Is that, is yes. That yes. Yeah. I, yeah, not 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 just Jim, but just you know the, the other doctor. <laughs> I wondered whether you meant you meant that people writing for Tom felt that they yeah. had to do that. Um, yeah, uh, and but also I'd say in performance, I would say that um, Davison fell foul of it. I'd say Colin Baker did. I would say McCoy certainly did. Uh, I, I would say I'd say it's gone on for, from Tom. The idea. He came up with something, or the writers did, or they all did together, which was the the alien thing is to be eccentric and weird and a bit stupid occasionally, all that sort of thing. And they've tried to reinterpret that particular thing throughout. Yeah. It hasn't worked. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I, I think you're right, and I think probably the pivot point is comes later on in this season where that's when it starts to turn. Um, I mean, you know, the, Tom is, they're a typical, in fact, Louise Jameson said this in the commentary, they're typical Tom lines that he he puts in himself or, or the way that he does them where he says, gentlemen, I have news for you. This lighthouse is under attack and by morning we could all be dead. And that's, that's she said, that's typical Tom, you know, so that's him. And... I think that's his import, and then you. But then you get Douglas Adams coming in later on. And I know we're veering off 
slightly. But I do. It's good. It's good. I sort of agree with what you're saying. People go, oh, that's the template. And later on, it's not the actors. So in the new series, it's not the actors that are are making those choices. The writers are making those choices for them or the head writers. So more particularly in Stephen Moffat's era, it's you've got to be like this because that's how Doctor Who is. And Matt Smith yeah. was willing to go along with that because, you know, he, he didn't he hadn't Doctor Who when he was younger. I, I think that Moffat should have listened to Capaldi more and there are some cringy things that he gets Capaldi to do. Um, but he's too much of a gentleman to argue, uh, I would imagine. But he, Moffat was off. He just, he got caught up in exactly what you're saying, Andy. This is how it should be. And then when we come... When we come to Jodie, apparently she was told, play it as written. So there was none of this, let's look at what it is, and it's play it as written, which is a watered-down version of David Tennant, which was a watered-down version of Tom Baker. So I think you have a Yeah, I, I, that, that, yeah you've put it really well, but you've put it more forgivingly yeah. and more articulately than I would, I think. No, I agree In, with that. Your opinion, yeah. mate? Yeah, absolutely. I think it makes it makes perfect sense. I, like you, Andy, would be uh, not sure about the idea that this is where Tom almost could have ended, and that would have been that would have been great to knock it on the head. And it will certainly be fascinating to but do. But could you imagine if it, if they had, you know, just for sake of argument, if yeah. he regenerated at that, he would have gone down. He'd been like the John Lennon of the Doctor oh, Who. Absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree with that because it's very hard to look before that, isn't it? And see there's there's stories that aren't very good. And we've we've talked about a number of them. But as a performance, he's fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. And he is in this. Again, it, as you say, Andy, there's different doctors. And this one is another different one. He's quite almost sinister. I find him quite unsettling in this story. And it's great. He is funny, but he's also quite grim and uh yeah i mean i put i put down in my notes that the end of it the end of this story it's almost like the doctor doesn't care you know he walks away reciting the poem which almost sounds as if he was aware all this was going to happen yeah it's like, like fate or it was meant to happen do you know what i mean it was this sort of this this feeling as if he was almost like this is this is just uh, completing what's in history. This is what has to. This is what has to happen, and we were just playing our parts in something that I already knew was going to take. Place. I suppose, yeah. I, just taking that on board, I suppose what I do like about that is that it's not encumbered by the ghastly torment that modern doctors seem to go through, and it's a fixed point in time. They got to watch people die or whatever, and yeah, they sit there yeah. crying around. It's actually quite nice to have that. I just go well. Here we go. I'll do your poem. I'll get in the tide and I'll fuck off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah he's almost true. he's almost gleeful at the end when he's reciting the poetry. Yeah, I know. It's strange, isn't it? Because yeah. yeah, exactly. Everybody's died. Yeah, really strange. Which can I just say, out of um, some of the deaths in this are absolutely appalling, and I don't know why. Do you know what I mean? Has anybody else noticed that? There's well, just, I mean, appalling as in dreadfully acted or appalling as in... Well, they're, they're, they're dreadfully acted, but in a way I can't see as that as their fault because presumably they've been directed to do what they're meant to do. For instance, Vince sort of just lies down, to be clear. <laughs> um, uh, 
Adelaide, she does a bit of a screech. And oh, she terrible. can fuck off that one. <laughs> really annoyed. Why are you glad? And, but she dies, she screams, doesn't she? But then just walks towards him. Yeah, I gotta say, I was really glad when cool. Leela gave her a clip across the face. I oh, really was. She was the do you know what? There's there's nine times out of ten, there's always a weak link in the story. And she was it. And, and there she, she was. was. She was not um I mean she, it's we we were talking about, you know, modern sensibilities and what have you, and, and actually she's badly written. You know, it's a typical, you know, hinting at maybe an affair type of thing. Um, and it, it, oh, it, God. It, yeah. it, it's just not, it doesn't serve any actress well having that role. But I don't know. What... Absolutely agree. And to be honest, if he had wanted to have an affair with her, then he deserved yeah, everything he got. Oh, Oh, Andy's just oh, he's gone quiet. But it's for a minute, poorly. Carry on. I yeah. think, uh, but it, it, was badly it will acted. come back. Um, it, it's badly acted, or she's she's been told to heighten it, but it's inconsistent. Really, yeah. really inconsistent. It's just and that well, I would say that's you know Terence Dix has not written a woman well there um, at all. The one that I loved, we're talking about incidental characters, and I, I'd completely forgotten about him, and I thought, oh, what happens here? Was Harker, and oh, he's great. In, in some ways, I think if you had got Harker to be the one that was the last one before, obviously, you know, they all die. So he was the last one to die. I think that would have been even more tragic. He's an absolutely beautiful character. He really is. There is something that we're not talking about that we probably should, which is Rutan. Um, uh, can I can I say something about Rutan before you explode into him? Go on. That sounded terrible, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to explode into a Rutan, Jim. Who has that leery smile, Andy? Then we know it's, it's the glow. I think it's the glow. I think I don't know about you. Here's two things about the Rutan. First one is I I'm always I'm confused at the end when he starts. When he starts talking, it's all in the sort of the first person pronouns, like the Queen does. You know, we are doing this and that. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why that happens. Oh, does he? Do you know everything? Well, he's just doing research. I do my research. You know, Spock's talking. (laughs) The reason it happens is because they are one entity. So it's like if you. It's a high mind. Yes. There you go, Jim. It's a high mind. I didn't know that. I, all right. If you listen to Mr. Spock now, you might learn something. So shut up. I'm, I'm always going to listen to Mr. Have you got more to say on the matter, no, Mr. Spock? No. That, that, um, that was it. That was answering your question. And you, do know, you. you do know, Jim, that as Yeoman ran, Mr. Spock has a slightly unhealthy fixation on you, don't you? Yeah, I do know that. Yeah, I do know that. Right, that. And Let's... having known Lee for years, I, I've I've felt it all along. Um, <laughs> just wait for a mock time, mate. Just wait for a mock time. Um, and what about the realization of that creature? Is that your second uh, thing, Jim? Is that what you're going to say? No, my uh, sorry, I I couldn't hear you for a second. No, my other thing about it is: Do you? Here's my question: Do you think it would have been better if we never saw it? Yeah. So, like the thing, all we ever see is whoever it's taken over. You know, in the film, the thing. Yeah. You, you talk about the thing in Marvel comics where he's a big It just takes over people. And there's odd moments when heads are knocked off and things and it scurries away. But would the Rutan have been better if we never saw it? Yes. 
totally. I, I, agree, I agree because it was, and apparently they had trouble realizing the monster anyway. And it shows. I mean, it, and I cannot imagine a war, a space war going on between the Sontarans and the Rutans, and the Rutans being like they are. It just doesn't work. No, I agree. I mean, how long did it take him to get those fucking stairs? Why doesn't he slither up the wall? If he can slither up the outside of the lighthouse, why doesn't he then slither up the wall rather than shimmying up the steps? Right, well, here's a question then for you both. There are various um, villains that we have agreed, like like Davros, that should have been left alone. But should this one be brought back with all the glorious... CGI effects that uh, the 21st century gives us, and we could see it in a different dynamic. Um, for me, no. I think it would still be more interesting if you never saw it. I think it's one of those creatures. The eye thing I liked, the eye view. Uh, once you saw it, it isn't very good, is it? it unfortunately, and no, I, there's nothing about it that makes me want to see it again. No. No, I don't want to see it again, but maybe it should be if it was realised as um, not necessarily a blob, but a green entity that would then overtake a body. But it's not, is it? It's body print. So it's, it's a bit like the Zygons with the prints of... You know, you need the original to to keep. That's fair enough. Yeah. Well, my final question is: before I think we're going to go to Jelly Baby shortly, my final question is: what did you guys think of Tom Baker in a bowler hat? Loved it. I love Tom in a bowler hat. Isn't it funny? Uh, Although it's it seems like a stupid thing to raise, but. We used to be in the, the the crumpled fedora and all that sort of thing. I fucking loved him in that. I think he, was, he looked great in it. And I sort of wanted him to have it more often, if you know what I mean. And, even, and didn't Terence Dick say that that cover of the novelization was his favourite one? Yeah. Of all of them. Because it, it, yeah. it's yeah. really and he mentions the bowler hat and he said, because in the original picture and on the DVD, Tom's not wearing the, the bowler hat. But the illustrator has um, has put him in the bowler hat, and it works a treat. It really does. It's a great yeah. picture. Yeah. Uh, right, gents. Well, in that case, we're coming to that time where we're going to start um, rustling in our pockets for some jelly babies. Anybody who wants to uh, uh, disagree with us or, or shout us down or tell us we're wrong or obscene or for some reason, do, um, do uh, email us at... Um, uh, Tom Baker is the doctor at gmail.com or um, we're on Twitter as well. I think it's uh, the definite article a one, um, you know, uh, the definite art one. There you go. The definite art one. It was something like that. Some. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. You can find us. We're, we're out there. Um, so um, disagree with us, annoy us, uh, bait us, and uh, we will come back at you twice as hard as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's go for, start with the story. Let's go Jelly Babies out of 10. Pick your colours, gentlemen. Lee, let's start with you. Um, how many How many out of 10 do you give this story? I'm going to give this story uh, nine Jelly Babies. And I, I, mainly, I think... Uh, two-pronged. One, the story, apart from the root and work, that's why I've knocked off a point, but also the the gorgeousness of the BBC's set 
um, for the period piece. It just adds it. Uh, that's the icing on the cake. But one off because of the of the rootum. Nimbles? I'm going to go for eight jelly babies for me. Uh, there's a couple of bits and pieces here and there that, you know, we've sort of talked about. No point going into too much detail. But, yeah, eight. I think it's fabulous. I love it. But um, perhaps not as high as nine. What about you? Yeah, I, I came in oddly with eight. I'm going to give them uh, reds and blacks because they're my favourite uh, flavours. Um, uh, I suppose, oh, why was it? I suppose the rootin being one, and it all, for me, got a bit silly when the doctor was sat on the steps talking to a sponge. And you just, yeah, oh, yeah. for Christ's sake, really. I loved the whole thing. I loved the backstory of everyone. I loved the double dealing. I loved the sort of sneakiness involved. Um, it, it came, it, it's a strong eight for me. Let's go to... I, the... I wonder if it's the only story, just to have a look at this, that everybody died apart from the Doctor. I think I it was know. certainly, as I'm aware, Lee, it was the first story where everybody died. Oh. I don't there know if it was... I don't know if it's been that way since. There's it, another story, and I wish I could remember it now you've said that. There is another one where... Oh, Pyramids of Mars, everybody dies. Of course. Is that, Jim, when, when you're playing the Doctor? What? No. Pyramids of Mars is when everybody dies. That's the first story. See, I thought Horror Fang Rock was before that. No, it's... Uh, Rock, uh, it's Sarah, no, no. Remember, Pyramids of Mars with Sarah. Season 13. Season 13 is Pyramids oh. of Mars. This is uh, season 15. Why? That's Gosh. Maybe I'm thinking that that's the first story because it's it's in one location, whereas Pyramids of Mars is scattered over several. Ah, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I do know what you mean. Yeah, you're because right. it, you're it's right. terribly claustrophobic in that respect. Yeah, lovely for that, lovely for that. I did think it was a bit like Jaws as well, in that, you know, there's something in there that's picking everyone off, or, or Alien, I suppose. That was yeah, two, yeah, two years alien. later, wasn't it? Okay, so we're going to go on to the companion. Let's go on to Leela. Um, Jelly Baby's Jim. I gave her 9 out of 10 for this. I know you don't like her in it, but I, I gave her 9 out of 10. Yeah, definitely. I loved her in it. I thought it was fantastic. The best story I've seen her in so far and what we're doing, and I have a feeling it may well be her best story. That's So, yeah, 9 from me. Eight. I'm torn between 8 and 9. Um, I, I agree with you, Andy, on some points, you know, with the, the warrior, but then I question what sort of, you know, so probably I'm going to go with an eight. But, you know, Louise Jameson has, plays it beautifully. Um, and, you know, she's a, she's a solid actress. She really is. But it's yeah. some things I did write down, all that seems a bit inconsistent. Not her. I think that's maybe the script. Um, but, yeah, she's, you know, even her expressions when she's pulling the foghorn, she's, she's constantly on it. So eight, mm. I would go. Uh, play. I'm I'm the miserable bastard in the mix. Uh, she gets seven out of me. Um, uh, they're, they're they're reds and blacks, um, but uh, I just don't believe her as a warrior. I just don't believe she is uh, somebody who could kill somebody silently or violently. I, I just don't believe her. Um, I, I just think she looks like a child with a with a knife. Right, sure. that's generous seven then for all that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go on to the big man. Let's go on to Tom. Uh, Lee, uh, 
where do you stand on Tom? How many jelly babies would you give the man himself? Well, for me, this is how I like the Doctor to be played. I I just love the fact that there's an element of cruelty. Um, that I mean, or I like this particular Doctor to be played. Should, should I say um, he he does it really well? I love the fact that because he's playing up, he's not looking at people. As Jim says, it adds that element of unease. Um, and then he's in his element when everybody dies. So it's got to be 10. It's got to be 10. And Ooh, wow, all that's all my, all my <laughs> greens and all my, all my red. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Would, you, would you say, Lee, just out of interest, that um, in the later years, and let's, let's go into New Who onwards, has a doctor been shown in that light since? And could it be done? It, not quite. The person that comes close is Capaldi. But I think that if Capaldi was given that script, let's say they were remaking it, if they were given, if he was given that script, I think he would, oh, actually, no, there's two. He would put a bit of warmth through it. Maybe the one that comes closer, and it's just popped into my head, he's not my favourite doctor, but interestingly, I think Eccleston. May oh, that's interesting. May come on trumps with this. Never thought about that before. While I was watching it, I was thinking, "Oh yeah, Peter Capaldi." But just now, no, I'm. I think he would lose patience with the stupid apes, and would certainly be chucking those diamonds down um, in order for what's his name to go and pick them up. Now, there's that thing. I'm sorry. Just before we get on to um, Jim's early uh, uh, babies. There's that thing when when um, who came back? Uh, I think it was the the, no, the second or third episode. Old, the late great Terry Wogan reviewed him on Radio Two, saying he didn't like him, and he said the reason he didn't like him was because he thought that, the, and this is a sort of a loose quote. He said that he thought the Doctor was supposed to be the eccentric voice of wisdom, not a psychotic bin man. Now, <laughs> <laughs> interesting you say Eccleston you see I, I, I'm not a fan I'm not a fan of Eccleston no oh well, there we go that's alright then no no I'm not but I, and that's why it surprised me that that has just popped into my head because I very rarely think about it and it popped into my head just as I was talking about Capaldi and I was thinking about the harshness and I thought actually Capaldi would have played it with a little bit more warmth but if you really wanted it as somebody who was playing it as cold as Tom was, then Eccleston would have done that, I think. Fair play oh. to you, mate. Fair play. What, Jim, what let's, have you? your, um, let's have your babies. Oh. Uh, I'm, I give uh, Tom uh, nine in this because I, I I, like Lee, I, I really, he is fantastic in it. But just as a, just as a, a viewer, uh, it's slightly unsettling, which is a bit sort of, you know... Um, Almost unlikable at times. What did which you is brilliant. at the time, Jim? Because obviously you uh, were you were what seven now? Um, uh, yeah, seven, seven when it was repeated a number of years later. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh God! Oh, Playing age twenty five. I was, I was terrified. As a, oh, you were te- what of the doctor when you were a kid? Uh, of the whole thing, and I remember, yeah, being a bit sort of uh, thrown by what he was doing. By yeah, thrown by it a bit, as far as I can remember. 
that might be you know misremembering obviously but yeah so but um yeah for me for me it's a nine performance he's fabulous as ever mm. there's just moments here and there yeah what well andy uh i i come in with lee i come in on a 10 with this he is what i want i want to be unsettled by him i want to as much as i want to trust him as a viewer i also need that element of he could be something completely different um and because he's alien i don't really want to feel that i trust him entirely oh, uh yeah. so yeah for, for me it, 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 he's brilliant he's fantastic he delivers it all with such gravity and you know i think what what i, I found on this one is now, this doctor from Tom, because so, I'm of the mind that you get a different one every time. This is the grim doctor um, who is terribly up against it and he ups the tension, but he's he's full of bad news every step of the way and delivers it sometimes with a smile and sometimes with that terrible portentous gravity that we all know and love him for. So it's a big fat 10 in reds and blacks for me. I, I love the line which sums it up for, for me with Tom. And somebody says, are you in charge here? And he says, no, but I'm full of ideas. Um, <laughs> there we go. What, what, there's no better place to end this one on. Um, well, apart from the baddies, what are you, what are you going to give the baddies? The, the, the baddie for oh, this? Oh, Christ, yes, yeah, sorry, the baddies. Yeah, thanks, Jim, for, for hanging on to that. Um, the, uh, I gave them a seven. What, I, so are you talking... Um, I'm going the route and only. Right. Yeah. Let's just. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I. I. It's. Yeah. I. I would go lower. I mean, it was. Ah. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm going to go. I'm going to go six. I mean, at one point, one of my notes was when the doctor was talking to to the route, and I thought I can hear Arthur Lowe as Captain Mannering here. (laughs) In. in, uh, It's. It's. It was sort of um, yes. I wondered. I wondered when you'd spot that type of thing. I mean, uh, and the voice sounded like Morbius. Um, so it yeah. was a mishmash of everything. And I thought it's not realised well. Yeah, the electricity bit of the story, but it, no, it's a it. The Rutans. He picked the wrong alien to be Rutans, and they weren't realised well. And the script wise once they started talking you this it was just boring it was exposition and nothing else yeah not good so six six for me that's been generous from uh, the yeah and i gave I, I seven i gave a seven because simply though because you know i did like the reason i liked all the thing business but uh splodgy chat on the stairs was very silly yeah I, that, that that lost the points for me that but just so that i don't look like an idiot I'm going yeah. to ask now is Lee, do you just, just, just for the listener, that line again that you were, that you just quoted, did you do it in your best Tom Baker voice? Oh, I'm rubbish at Tom Baker. Well, I'll have a go. Uh, I remember what? a kid trying to do it. And my mum said, Lee, you sound like Dennis Healy. Um, Excellent. <laughs> so somebody says, um, are you in charge here? And Tom says, no, but I'm full of ideas. <laughs> Ah, that's fantastic! Oh my god, that's brilliant! Oh, that's, that's fantastic! Open up for the ideas, right? We've we've got to hit the randomizer to find out. Okay. Hold on, hold on. Before you hit the randomizer, I said to you I was going to link this in 
to film international and this is especially for you andy because you were talking about naked ladies earlier on um did neither of you did you not have a look at what was in ruben's pocket when the fourth doctor was going through his belongings no there was a pack of saucy French postcards. <gasps> oh, yes. I will be freeze-framing yeah, yeah. that I later tonight, mate. No way. No way. And it was very funny. I thought it was quite nice. And I did think of you, Andy, as soon as I saw that, especially as you were talking. I have no idea why. And um, <laughs> if you do, just keep your mouth oh. shut. That's fine. Yeah, that's um, can I just say, before we randomise, yes. uh, that was 98. We got 98 there out of... 120, which is 81%, because I'm doing it in percentages Oh, now. that's good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Lee being on the team means we have to do it in it in this strange way. So, yes, 81%, which just out of interest for you, Genesis, which we did last time, was 86%. I like the way that you, you've just said that to make Lee feel awkward. That's awful, Jim. There's so many things I could say to make Lee feel awkward. That's awful. Uh, what a dreadful thing. You miserable bastard. That's that. No, I'm doing it because no, because percentage actually sounds more grown up. It does actually. Now. But you know, I was yeah. very impressed with the quickness there that you came in. That you obviously, you obviously got the producer to to work all that out for you. That was I, I was I that. was impressed with the the quickness of the acid that came to Jim's toe. Oh, listen to him, will you? <laughs> I've been now promoted from Yeoman. I'm now back in sick bay as Doctor McCoy, and I'm, I'm oh, quite pleased I am. Oh, that's a neat wrap up from beginning. To Jim, end. you're a red shirt. You always have been. You always will. Oh, right. Well, then, join. Uh, yes. I am now, everybody, get excited. I'm going to press the randomizer. So, the randomizer's This better ready. be good. This is, this is going to be good. I know one person who's going to be a very, very happy man because the next story is the 17th story in uh, Tom's tenure as the Doctor, which is none other than The Talons of Wang Chiang. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, that's going to be an interesting one. That's going to be an interesting wow. one. But do you know what? It gives me a good excuse to watch you know, I've only watched it a couple of months ago, but it gives now gives me a good excuse to watch it on the, on the um, Blu-ray because they've um, upgraded the, the Rat. Uh, and it's, it's oh. uh, on wobbly wheels. Yeah. So, but always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to watch that. Thanks for listening. Um, it's been me, Andy, Jim being Jim, and Lee being Lee. And uh, we'll see you in Victorian London in a week's time. Um, take it easy and stay safe. Cue the smoke machine. Yes. <laughs>